Thank you so much for tuning in to the Let's Talk podcast. My name is Christopher, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or may consider leaving home. For over 50 years, we've provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. I hope you learned as much as I do on this journey to elevate the voices of young people and youth-facing organizations as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections witnessed by 4.2 million young people facing homelessness each year. Let's get political. Today, I'm joined by Darla Bardine, the Executive Director of the National Network for Youth, and we're discussing RIPTA, creating a space for young people to learn about politics and the surprises that can come from engaging your network to make important connections. Thank you for joining us today, Darla. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course, of course. I'm really excited about the things we're going to talk about today. But before we jump into that, why don't you start off just by introducing yourself and telling everyone just a little bit about the organization that you work for? Yeah, thank you so much. So my name is Darla Bardine. I'm the executive director of the National Network for Youth. And the National Network for Youth, um, I'm proud to say as an organization is older than I am, because as I get older, I feel like few things are (laughs) older than me. Um, But we are a network of over 300 Runaway and Homeless Youth Act service providers across the country. We also partner with young people with lived experience of homelessness through a National Youth Advisory Council. And we drive forward different federal policy solutions um, and legislation to really create a future where all young people have a safe place to call home. Yeah, the political and legislative component to me are like, not to single out one specific part, but they're the most exciting because I didn't get a lot of education about politics in school. It all happened a little bit later in life. But before we jump into all of that, can you give us just a quick overview of the different programs that National Network for Youth offers? Yeah, so our the different programs that we offer is one, we do do work with communities. So we do have place-based work, which is our local cross-system collaboratives on youth homelessness. And that's really where we work long-term with communities. We help them establish a youth action board comprised of young people with lived experience of homelessness, and then bring together different system partners and agencies at the local level to really think about how can they do things differently Um, do a better job at preventing homelessness from occurring for young people, and then also to increase the housing and service options available at the community level for youth. And then we have our youth development and leadership um, program, which is our National Youth Advisory Council, where we partner with young people with lived experience. We provide a lot of training around leadership, how a bill becomes a law, um, so all about the policymaking process, as well as really doing trainings on what are effective advocacy strategies and where are the moments in a policymaking process that you do have an opportunity to influence as a constituent, as a young person with lived experience. And then obviously we do a lot of federal policy, um, and, and our federal policy work includes legislative, so congressional, but we also do work with federal agencies to try to get them to improve or modify how they are administering federal funds just to make it easier for service providers and for young people to access the help that they need 
So to remove any barriers that young people or providers have identified. I love that. And I like that. I like the amount of times that you used youth just then, because I feel like I say it day in and day out. It's the most important thing that we do is featuring the youth voice and giving them agency over the decisions that affect them the most. And then you guys take it a step further by um, introducing them to the legislative process or helping them understand how that works and getting them involved in that way. Why is it so important? And this is going to be so obvious to you and I, but for everyone else who's listening, why is it so important to include the youth voice in these conversations? You know, from our perspective, as uh, young people who have experienced homelessness are the number one primary experts. Um, and should be viewed and treated as experts when it comes to identifying issues and developing policy recommendations. They've lived it. They have encountered the systems. Um, They have encountered the barriers. So having them really identify what were the biggest barriers? What would have helped you overcome those barriers? Or can we just remove that barrier altogether, right? And for us, you know, our... um, the young people we partner with, like three years ago, they told us, you know, access to identification and a copy of my birth certificate and my social security card were like top barriers that we faced in trying to access employment and housing. And we really took that to heart. And so it's been a while, but we we created a partnership with Baker McKenzie Law Firm. And earlier this year, we actually piloted a vital documents hotline for young people where lawyers actually answered the phone and provided information to young people or to service providers about how youth could get a copy of their birth certificate, get a valid government ID, access their social security card. And next year, we are going to be rolling that out um, nationally and on an and you know a year-round basis um, based on the learnings from our pilot last year. So we really take to heart um, the issues and the recommendations that come from the young people we partner with, and we really act on it, whether it's a legislative solution or something practical where we can build a partnership with a law firm and try to make a difference that way. That's so cool. I love hearing about what you guys did with the Baker McKenzie firm, the vital documents hotline. I remember when the email about that went out, it was like there was a parade in our office because (laughs) the crisis service supervisors and coordinators, when they talk about like when they ask youth directly, like what barriers they've experienced, that is what you exactly, it's exactly what you just said is that it's like the difficulties and barriers in getting identification or legal documents. So that is a huge deal. I don't know if if the average person would understand how much of a difference that's going to make in so many people's lives. And I'm so excited to see that roll out nationally next year. Yeah, it was a parade everywhere. We've never gotten... I mean, I feel like the response we got when we started advertising that pilot hotline was like, unlike we've ever heard, you know, Mm -hmm. and for us, you know, there isn't like some eligibility criteria, you know, for the hotline. So we had, you know, advocates in the, the child welfare space, juvenile justice, youth employment, immigration, who were like, can we share this information with our networks? We're like, yes, like we're not turning people away. Um, (laughs) And the response was pretty great and pretty incredible just for a pilot. So 
Um, there are, you know, there are practical things that we can do. And there are, I mean, Baker McKenzie is an incredible law firm for just stepping up and doing so much work on a pro bono basis. But I think there are those corporate partners out there that do want to make a difference um, and help, you know, to create social change and help young people. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I used to work for and they had a whole philanthropy branch. And I just, I constantly think about going back to them and being like, you guys are doing this all wrong. This is what you can actually <laughs> do to like make a big difference, especially knowing that you have this money set aside specifically to do this instead of like, oh, we're going to throw you a lunch, which I'm, yeah, of course is, is much appreciated. But like, like you said, yeah. when you have big things like this that are all about like somebody just getting in and doing the work, the response yep. is thunderous. You could really feel it yep. throughout our organization. Another really exciting thing that you guys do, which we touched on a little bit earlier before, is the National Summit in Hill Day, where you do exactly what you mentioned earlier. You bring in young people and you pair them with researchers and policy experts so they can talk about creating systemic change and prevention strategies. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happens during that National Summit in Hill Day and why it's so important uh, or why it's such a hallmark event for your organization? Yeah, well, it takes place in Washington, D.C., right on Capitol Hill. So you can actually walk to all the Senate and House offices and the Capitol building. And we really carve out time for, you know, Hill Day so that you have time. Um, everybody who comes can um, schedule meetings with both their Senate offices and their House representative. And we do provide tools to help people schedule those meetings, but they schedule those meetings in advance. And we provide trainings and materials, that portion of the event. It's about our com national community coming together and really in a collective voice asking Congress to do the same things. So Congress is hearing the same message from multiple partners. You know, different offices are hearing the same message from constituents in the Senate and the House, Democrat, Republican. And it's a pretty... Um, important time in the congressional calendar. So it's going to be, you know, the beginning of a new session. There's going to be new members uh, of Congress to um, educate and to, hey, make youth homelessness a priority, you know, priority issue for your boss. So it's just really critical in terms of building the political will for federal policies to change and do things differently. We also have a federal agency roundtable discussion. So we have six different federal agencies that come together. And we ask them the tough questions, like, and we ask every representative to make at least one commitment of something they're going to do to help further our work of preventing and ending youth homelessness in the next year. And then we always report out on if they did that or not or the next year. So for us, it is about public <laughs> accountability. And I feel like often or too often these federal agencies have conversations in small meetings behind closed doors. So we really bring it to a public space, ask them the tough questions, ask them to make commitments, and they know up front that we will be reporting out on that progress in the following year. And we have found, you know, that most federal agencies go above and beyond and they take those commitments seriously. So for us, it's also an effective kind of advocacy accountability tool. Uh, but my favorite part of the summit is on the first day, we open the event with our National Youth Advisory Council. We give them, they have an hour of general session that really kicks off the entire event together. 
We do not script it. I never know what they're going to say, what they're going to share, what wisdom they're going to be um, providing to the attendees. So I get to sit in the audience and take notes with everybody else. But it really helps us ground our time together that we are all learning from young people with lived experience of homelessness. And that is really centering our time together at the National Summit. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about like the importance of understanding legislation and getting involved. One of the things, and of course the meat of our conversation today, since we're on the topic of politics, of course, I'd like to bring up the Runaway and Homeless Youth and Trafficking Prevention Act of 2022 or right to with, or right per. I think everyone in my office is <laughs> saying it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> I just say R-H-Y-T-P-A because I don't know how to like say the, I don't know what the sound is. <laughs> right. Everyone in my office says right per, but it's spelled right per. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to take yeah. your note, R-H-Y-T-P-A. Yeah. Can you just tell us a little? R-H-Y-T-P-A, yeah. <laughs> The title obviously tells us that it's focused on homelessness and trafficking, but can you give us a little bit more detail? Sure. So the Runaway and Homeless Youth Act is an existing federal program. It's been around since 1974. Um, it's administered at HHS. Of course, National Runaway Safe Line receives funding from that federal program. Now, that program has not been updated or reauthorized um, in over 10 years. So that means there's been no programmatic updates or improvements to kind of reflect everything we've been learning over the past decade plus when it comes to how do we prevent and improve our community responses to youth and young adults experiencing homelessness. So what the Runaway and Homeless Youth and Trafficking Prevention Act does is it would make improvements and updates to the existing Runaway and Homeless Youth Act programs. And part of that includes, you know, increasing training um, to the different grantees around identifying human trafficking. Um, and that's inclusive of sex trafficking and labor trafficking. It also um, increases and requires um, training around how do you prevent um, youth that you are serving from being trafficked? Because we know, unfortunately, that young people experiencing homelessness and in particular, BIPOC and LGBTQ plus youth experience higher rates of homelessness and higher rates of human trafficking than their straight, cisgender, white peers. So having um, that training and knowing that our young people are targeted um, for sex or labor trafficking, so not just sex trafficking, our young people are labor trafficked too, and I feel like that doesn't get as much time and attention as it should, um, then, then service providers need to know how to, how to keep young people they're serving safe. Um, and then it also, it extends like the length of stay for basic center programs. It increases the age of transitional living and maternity group homes to 25. And then it does add, um, you know, you can spend resources on like online and social media outreach. So really allowing the funds to be used in ways to outreach to young people that are a bit more current <laughs> um, than just going to young people on the street to connect with them in person, but finding and using other platforms to do that. And then it does add a new prevention services program. So um, providers will be able to apply for an additional 75000 a year 
to provide prevention services to young people that they're not housing. We know that there's not enough housing, that most of our programs have wait lists, and traffickers don't have wait lists. Um, so how are we providing services to young people to prevent them from experiencing homelessness or to do our best to do safety planning and service connection until there is housing available to meet their needs to try to keep them safe? It also adds a comprehensive non-discrimination clause because, again, we know LGBTQ youth disproportionately experience homelessness and unfortunately do experience discrimination and bias when they are accessing services at times. So we just want to make sure that it is in law that nobody that receives this funding can discriminate against LGBTQ youth when it comes to providing them with housing and services funded by the Runaway and Homeless Youth Act. So those are some of the key highlights of how this incredible program would be improved. And I would say long overdue updates. Yeah, you said it was, I know it was introduced in 1974, but you said it's been over a decade since it was updated or reauthorized. Yeah, the last kind of update and reauthorization was over 10 years ago. Do you happen to know what, at that point, what kind of the focus was in reauthorizing? It was called the Reconnecting Youth Act. More of a focus was around like connection to education and employment. Mm. It wasn't, you know, I wouldn't, I would say it wasn't as big of an overhaul as what we're doing this time. Uh, you know, we've been trying to get this bill passed for a while now. Um, so we are we are confident that we uh, we do have the political will to get it through before the year is is over. And we are asking everybody to reach out to their elected officials, ask them to co-sponsor the Run Rain Homeless Youth and Trafficking Prevention Act of 2022, and to ask Congress to include it in the end of year package that we know is gonna be moving through both chambers. That's our best route to get this bill across the finish line this year. Through this podcast, what I've learned most is that the people who interview the best are the people who are the most passionate about what they do and the people who really care at the end of the day most about actually making a difference in the lives of young people, whether they've had their own lived experiences or not. You already mentioned reaching out to your legislators and, and congressmen. I love that the website says that the time for Congress to act is now. And you guys also have a really great tool that will help people automatically reach out to their legislators and help locate them. What are some other things that people can do to get involved and make sure that you know we're doing as much as we can to help get this passed? I would say call, email, activate your networks. You know, what we have found is, you know, if you're an organization, maybe, you know, you don't have a close connection to your elected official, but maybe somebody on your board of directors does. We've actually found that when we tell our service providers, hey, activate your supporters, send an email to your supporters or Send an email to your board and be like, hey, does is anybody know? So for us right now, we're targeting Senator Grassley because he's ranking on the Senate Judiciary Committee. So we kind of need mm-hmm. his okay for the bill to be included in the end of your package. Okay, maybe you're not close with Senator Grassley's office, but probably somebody in your sphere of influence has that connection. So don't don't ever think that your voice doesn't have an impact. 
Um, it does. Having a phone call, um, you know, all phone calls and emails are logged. But also, I would say activate your networks, look around, reach out, ask your board of directors, and just be, this is what the ask is. You are asking your elected officials to co-sponsor the Runaway and Homeless Youth Trafficking Prevention Act, and you're asking them to support it being included in the end of your package. That's what you're asking. And keep it simple. Um, and any questions about the legislation, it's all on our website. Um, so all the information is there. You don't have to have all the answers. You can just refer people to that webpage and all the information is there. Yes. Uh, and we will, of course, make sure to share out links directly to all of the necessary pages for you to find out information. And we'll also try to pull together all of the language that you need to put in your letter so that it's easy for you to just send and click, click and send. Now, um, I want to ask that same question, but for young people, for young people who want to get involved and make a difference, can they also reach out to their congresspeople or are there different ways that they can get involved? Yes, 100% reach out. I mean, it's the same. You can call, email, and we, I mean, we do pretty extensive coaching for the young people we work with. You know, you never have to share anything personal about your life or your journey that doesn't feel safe. So I never want a young person to think that for them to reach out to a policymaker, they have to share all of their trauma. You can simply say, you know, I am a young person with lived experience of homelessness. I No young person should have to go through what I did. That's why I'm asking you to co-sponsor this bill. You don't have to share your personal story. Your expertise is rooted in what you have survived and lived through. That's it. Nothing else. So don't let fear of, of thinking you have to share deep personal trauma. You don't. <laughs> you are an expert. And um, so that would be kind of my advice to young people. But use those tools, whether you're a young person, service provider, community member, um, anybody can call. And obviously, the more people who are reaching out, the more likely we are um, to see success this year. Thank you again for listening to the Let's Talk podcast. Make sure you check out the description for this episode to find important links related to the things that Darla and I discussed today. I'll see you again next year for a new season of the Let's Talk podcast.